things Christians are sometimes accused of, or the church in general is sometimes uh, accused of, is um, uh, sort of escapism, or being an escape or a refuge uh, from the troubles of life. But of course, nothing could be uh, different. Um, At the heart of the Christian faith, we have a God who is uh, high up in the heavens and who deigns to come down uh, from far away and draw near, and he draws near in the person of Jesus. And Jesus walks on this earth and he knows our sorrows and he knows our tears and he knows our delights and he knows our joys. Uh, He lives life to the full, he tastes death and then he conquers uh, death again. And that that theme of uh, life in all its rawness uh, but God uh, transcending and transforming life is there throughout the Bible and finds its uh, fulfilment of course in Jesus Christ. A little later in our service, we're going to read uh, from Jeremiah, and our theme this morning is a life of purpose, a life of uh, discipleship that gives our life purpose, and finding our purpose in the purposes of God. And Jeremiah wrote another book in the Bible, and that book is called Lamentations. And it's a book which, which has kind of light and dark, um, dark passages of, of tears and weeping and almost despair, but then light passages of joy and hope and the richness of uh, the hope that Jeremiah finds in God. I'm going to read one of these uh, passages that has that flavour of light and dark. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I will say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him. I'm going to invite you just to be still for a moment and perhaps uh, call to mind those situations uh, that you've left behind this morning. Uh, perhaps difficult situations in your family, in your uh, personal life, or at work. And don't want this morning to be an escape from those, but actually to be a time of renewal and empowerment and encouragement uh, to face uh, those challenges and to walk through those challenges with God at our right hand. So let's just be still, let's wait quietly, as Jeremiah says. You might like to close your eyes. And again, our leaders in prayer. I remember my afflictions and my sufferings. My soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions will never fail. Lord, we want to bring before you the whole of life. Uh, The difficult parts, the challenging parts, uh, the painful parts. 
Lord, we confess that you are Lord of Lords and King of Kings and Lord over these areas of life as well. Lord, we pray that in our sufferings, in our struggles and in the dark times, we would not forget you, but would be reminded of your faithfulness every morning. Lord, that we would discover afresh your compassion that never fails. Lord, we bring before you our burdens, our trials and our tribulations. Lord, we remember the words of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you'll find rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. The city of our God, the holy place, the joy of the whole earth, Great is the Lord in whom we have the victory. He aids us against the enemy. We bow down on our knees. Claire's going to lead us in worship again. Let's stand for great is the Lord. Readings from Jeremiah 29 verses 1 to 14, which is on page 788. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim, and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the artisans, had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elasa, son of Shaphan, and to Jemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zebekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, 
plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Thank you to Lucy for reading to us this morning. It's one of those cracking readings that has loads of Hebrew names about that long in. So thank you and well done. Let's just take a moment to still ourselves before the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word and we pray that it will reach into our hearts this morning. And Lord, I pray that you will be in my words too. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know how many of you have seen the film that seems set to sweep this year's Oscars, La La Land. Claire, my wife, um, you've got a double act this morning. Um, uh, Claire and I saw it um, pretty much when it first came out, and although it's perhaps rather more her usual cup of tea than mine, um, I enjoyed it very much as well as she did. For those of you who haven't seen it or heard much about it, it's set in contemporary Hollywood, although it's very much in the style of a 40s or 50s traditional musical. And it's about the relationship between an upcoming actress, Mia, and an aspiring jazz pianist, Sebastian. One of the best numbers in the film is early, when Mia and her girlfriend housemates are getting ready to go to a party. As as its lyrics say, the objective for each one of them there is to meet the someone in the crowd who may help them get that acting breakthrough, who may help them to break into the big time at last, who may see something special and unique in them. And this is a reflection of the whole movie. Mia and Sebastian's sole purpose is to make it in Hollywood. The film is all about their personal journeys in doing this, and especially in the end about how Sebastian has a choice between staying true to his musical principles or cashing out to achieve success in worldly terms of of wealth and popular acclaim. I won't spoil the rest of the film for those of you who haven't seen it. But I do think that the storyline of La La Land and perhaps this song, Someone in the Crowd, is a helpful counterpoint to today's theme Today's theme, of course, is the third in our sermon series leading up to the church weekend away. And 
into Lent, in which we're looking at what it means to live the whole of our life for Christ, to live the whole of our life as his disciples. Whole life purpose. Although Mia and Sebastian aren't unappealing characters, and we certainly empathise with their struggles to, to make it in Hollywood, they live their lives centred around themselves, around their careers, around their auditions, around their artistic pretensions, their successes, and their and on their terms, successes in their terms or failures in their terms perhaps too. This morning, however, I'd like to share with you what may potentially be some shocking news about your life that runs completely contrary to the storyline of La La Land. The purpose of your life is not about you. The purpose of my life is not about me. The American pastor and author Rick Warren starts his best-selling book, The Purpose Driven Life, with exactly this statement. It's not about you, he says. It's not about you. He continues... If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. Each one of us was created to fulfill God's purposes for us. Each one of us may think that we have our own mission, our own destiny, our own calling in life. And this may well be true to an extent. But our true mission is to play our part in God's mission. What theologians call the missio dei, the mission of God. God's plan for his creation. To bring his universe, the whole of creation, back to him. And as this morning's passage from Jeremiah shows us, the role that we have to play in this can often be surprising. Let's look at it a bit more closely to see what insights about God's purposes and our purposes within those we can discern. So, Jeremiah himself. It's fair to say that the poor chap often gets a bit of a bad press. He was a prophet who lived at the end of the 7th and the start of the 6th centuries before Christ. His writings perhaps don't have the poetry of someone like Isaiah and perhaps rather less of the, of the forward-looking hope that we see in Isaiah and some of the other prophets. Poor old Jeremiah even has a less than complimentary concept named after him. A Jeremiah is, in the words of the Oxford English Dictionary, a lamentation or a doleful complaint. Maybe if you think of Eeyore on one of his less good days, that's a Jeremiah. 
Immediately before this morning's reading, Jeremiah has been having a, a sort of prophetic duel with another Hebrew seer, Hananiah, um, who um, is a false prophet. Hananiah foresaw incorrectly that Israel would rise up and overthrow their Babylonian captors. But Jeremiah's word for the Lord, from the Lord, is that God's chosen people would indeed find themselves in exile, that they would find themselves under King Nebuchadnezzar's iron yoke far from their promised land. And so this is where we find Israel in the passage this morning, as Jeremiah writes to them in their exile. The people of Israel would doubtless have been pleading with God. Why? Why have you allowed us to be dragged off to this foreign land by bloodthirsty masters? To have to work their land, to work in their industries, to work in slavery for their benefit. Where are you, God, in all of this? And into this situation comes this letter from Jeremiah today. It comes to Israel's leaders, to the surviving elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar has carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So it's addressed to the leaders, but it's, or it's, it's sent to the leaders, but it's addressed to the whole of the Israelite people. I guess that it's not what they expected to receive from Jeremiah. Jeremiah had a bit of a reputation for ranting and railing against the kings of Israel. But here, Jeremiah basically says, put down roots in Babylon. Plant some vegetable patches. Eat what you grow from them. Marry, have children. And then marry those, have those children married off to other sons and daughters within the Israelite community. And then there's more than that. Jeremiah tells the Israelites in verse 7, to seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you in exile. Pray to the Lord for it. The Israelites are apparently to strive for the social and economic well-being of precisely the same aggressors, the same acquisitive warlike people who had ravaged their lands, captured Jerusalem, destroyed the temple where they met with God, and hauled them off to work in slavery hundreds of miles from their homes. The Israelites are to strive for these people, and they are to pray to the Lord that this will come to pass too, that prosperity will come. What must they have thought? Has Jeremiah lost his mind? Back in Jerusalem where he is, does he not get what's going on here, what the reality of our lives is? But Jeremiah is adamant. He's listened to the Lord. And this is precisely what God has told him to declare to the people of Israel. Why? 
and if we can work out this why for the people of God in 6th century Babylon, what might that tell us about how we live out our lives as the people of God today? His church, St. Giles Church here in West Bridgeford as well. God's calling the Israelites to the reality of where they are in Babylon. It's no good for them to wish that they were back home in the promised land because they're not. And they are where they are as part of God's plan. He says to them through Jeremiah, I carried you into exile, not the enemy soldiers, although obviously they had a part to play in it, but it's God himself who is responsible for bringing the Israelites to where they are. And now that they are there, they're to conduct their secular lives, their everyday lives, and their spiritual lives within the social and economic and legal structures of the Babylonians. And not only for their own benefit as Israelites, but for the peace and the prosperity of the city as a whole. Babylon is, of course, the city that became the byword for evil and debauchery and excess in Jewish tradition. I think I'll stop the direct comparison with West Bridgeford there. But there is a very important point here that we mustn't miss. The Lord tells the Israelites that their purpose in the city of Babylon is to labor and to pray, not just for their own community, in some sort of inward-looking isolationism. Their purpose is to labor and to pray for the whole of the city in which they find themselves. They're to pray for everyone's peace and prosperity, as the translation has it. What in the original Hebrew is shalom. Shalom is often quite difficult to translate. But it means much more, I think, than the, the peace and prosperity that we have in our translation. It means a deep and lasting right living, a rightness of relationship between an individual and other people, and that individual and God. The role of the Israelites in Babylon is to continue the task that the Lord gave to them right back in Genesis chapter 12, in his original covenant with Abraham. It's to continue to be a great and blessed nation, but particularly that all peoples on earth will be blessed through them. Israel is to do this both in the practical, everyday ways that we've heard, the building houses, the forming families, the growing crops, doing these things well, and for everyone's benefit, not just for their own. But they're also to do this spiritually. They're to pray for the whole city, even for those who led them into exile, not just for their own people. 
And God gives them the assurance that they're to do this secure in the knowledge of his goodness and his good plans specifically for them. In following what he commands them to do through Jeremiah's prophecy, they can be assured of his protection, of his plans to prosper them and not to harm them. Plans to give them hope and a future. This isn't easy, however. In Jeremiah's earlier chapters and and the preceding books of the Old Testament, we read the reason why the people of Israel had found themselves in this captivity in the first place was that they had followed precisely the opposite of the good and godly living that's being talked about here. They turned away from their trust in God and their worship of him. And they'd allowed Israel to become a nation full of injustice and misgovernment. And then as well, the Lord tells the Israelites that effectively not one of them will see the ultimate fruit of this practical and spiritual goodness that they're being called to. Because it's only at the end of 70 years that he will grant their heart's desire and restore them to the land that he had given them and from which they'd been taken by the Babylonians. But what the Israelites then and we now are called to do is to be faithful to our God as he is faithful to us. The purpose of each one of us as followers of the Lord God here in West Bridgeford today, just as it was for the Israelites in Babylon almost three millennia ago, is to carry out his will for us and carry out his will through us. We discern God's will through prayerfully opening our hearts and our lives to him in the person of Jesus, the Jesus who's revealed to us in the gospel accounts where we see him, God's son, here on earth and through whom we get to see what it's like to live a whole life utterly and completely in alignment with God's purposes. No matter what our personal circumstances are and please be assured that if you're having a tough time at the moment, I don't want in any way to diminish the difficulties that you are having because they are very real to you now. But no matter what our circumstances are, each one of us can be assured that God has a good purpose for us and that he asks each one of us to carry that into all areas of our lives, just as he did with the Israelites in exile in Babylon. God didn't say to the Israelites, seek me just in the worship of your Lord God. God didn't say to the Israelites, seek me just in your religious relations with the other members of the Jewish community. God said to the Israelites then, go and carry me, carry my deep shalom into all areas of your lives, no matter whom you meet, 
or speak with, or work for, or socialize with, both Israelites and Babylonians. Make your world more prosperous and more secure, because in that way, it is better for all. And pray for all too, not just your own people, but your enemies too. And God says to us now, be distinctive. As Lee spoke to us recently, God says to us, be my salt and my light in the world. If you like, give all of my creation my flavor, God's flavor. Spread the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ into your workplaces, into your schools, into your colleges, into your homes, where you go for a coffee, where you go for a pint, where you go for a glass of wine, whether you go to the gym, whatever sports club you play in. Whatever it is that you do and wherever it is that you go, carry God's shalom with you and follow his ways in all that you do. Ken Costa, the businessman and Christian writer, has recently written a very good book that I recommend to you called Know Your Why. It goes into much more detail than I've got time for now, but its essential message is this in three points. First, that each of us is loved by God, loved more than we can imagine. That each of us is known to God, known in infinitely small detail, every aspect of our lives. And thirdly, that each of us is called by God and called whatever the specific circumstances of our life may be to be part of God's universal and eternal purposes in this place and in this time. As Paul says of David in Acts 13, he says that David served the Lord in his generation. We too are called to serve God's purposes in our generation, here in West Bridgeford, at this time. The Lord has chosen each one of us and appointed us that we may bear his fruit and fruit that will last. This is your calling, your purpose, my calling, my purpose. It's for you and for you to carry into the lives of others. It's to be carried through you. It's for you to bear the Lord's shalom into every place into which you go. Every corner of West Bridgeford where you live or wherever that may be. Every corner of Nottingham where you work or wherever your workplace may be. Every place in which we relax and have fun too. Our purpose is to carry the light of Jesus Christ into all these places. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for revealing to us in the person of Jesus what it is to live a life totally aligned with your purposes and your mission for creation. We thank you 
that as your servant Jeremiah said to us, or said to the Israelites in Babylon, that you can work in each one of us, practically and spiritually, wherever we are. And we thank you that you're a good God with plans only to prosper us and never to harm us. A God who gives us hope and a future. We pray that we might come to you with all of our hearts, open to being used for your purposes in whichever way you choose to carry your shalom and the light of Christ into every part of our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Going to stand and sing our final song. It's all I once held dear, and as we sing this, we'll take up our collection. Thanks, Tim. <laughs>